The gospel reading today is from John, a very familiar passage in chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. For now, from now on, you do, not, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The word of God for the people of God. God. Well, this section of the Gospel of John is known as the, the farewell address. It goes from chapter 13, uh, verse 31, to the end of chapter 16. And it takes place on Holy Thursday, or Monday Thursday. Jesus is going to be crucified the next day. And so he's trying to prepare his disciples for what they're going to have to go through and what they're going to have to face. And so he's trying also taking this opportunity to tell them goodbye. And saying goodbye is hard, even for Jesus. Even when we're moving on to things that are better and more exciting and things that we're looking forward to, leaving old things behind, and especially old relationships, is hard. When you graduate from high school or college, and I mean, you're excited. You can't wait to graduate. You're ready for the next chapter of your life to, to finally get there, and uh, you, know, you didn't think this day would ever come. And you are so excited to be moving on from there to another place. I remember when I graduated from high school, I backed my car in the parking space so I could get out of there quick as I possibly could. <laughs> because I was ready to go. And you can't wait until you, that day finally arrives and you're going to get to move on and make a change. But then you have to say goodbye to your friends. You have to say goodbye to the person you studied with, the person you laughed with, and the person that you got in trouble with, and the person you cried with. And you're going to move on to the uni to university or a job in a different town, 
And you can't wait to get there, but it's hard to say goodbye. And you'll keep in touch, but it's not hardly the same. You know, I couldn't wait to go to seminary. When I finally finished college and was able to go to seminary, I was so excited. Couldn't wait to begin that chapter of my life, to, to move on to that next step. And I, I was just all, all ready to go. I was so excited until I saw my mama's face in my rearview mirror and realized I would never live in that house as my home again. It's hard to say goodbye. It's hard. And when you say goodbye because of death, it's even more intense. And we, we often read this passage at memorial services because we find hope and, and we find comfort in being able to say goodbye to the people we love in these words of Jesus as he says goodbye to people he loved. He tries to prepare them for what's going to happen. Don't let your hearts be troubled, he said. And they had a lot to be troubled about. He had just told them that one of them was going to betray him. He had just told them that he was going to be leaving. He just told Peter that Peter was going to deny him. And then John tells us that Jesus <clears throat> knew what a troubled heart felt like. When Jesus went to Lazarus' house after Lazarus died, he saw Mary crying. And John tells us that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And when Jesus told his disciples of his upcoming death in chapter 12, his soul was troubled. And when he told them that one of them would betray him, he was troubled in spirit. So Jesus understands what it's like to have a troubled heart. So I just wanted to tell you this morning, if you're here with a troubled heart, I'm not going to pretend I can fix it, but I want you to know that Jesus understands and he suffers with you because he loves you. So the primary concern in, in this scripture that we read is not what's going to happen to Jesus, it's what's going to happen to the disciples once Jesus is gone. He told them he was going to leave them and now they want to know What's going to happen to us? I mean, if you leave us, what are we going to do? Because their direction and their inspiration, their power to live and to know which road to take and what to do next, all of that came from Jesus. So what are they going to do if he's no longer there? And Jesus said, listen, I'm going away, but where I'm going, there is a place for you there. And I'm going to prepare that place for you. I'm going to get it ready. Augustine wrote, he prepares the dwelling places by preparing those who are to dwell in them. <laughs> I like that. Now, you know, in the King James Version, it says, in my father's house are many mansions. And that's probably not a real good translation of the word Jesus used. Uh, historically, uh, God has always been more in touch with the manger in a barn crowd than the mansion crowd, anyway. But the, the word that Jesus used actually means abiding places. 
And, and the emphasis is, is not on the place. It's on the abundance of places. <laughs> Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. And the emphasis is on many. There are many places. It, it's, there, there are so many places that there is room for you. There is an abiding place for you. There is never a, a you know, a, a no vacancy sign on, on God's kingdom. There's always room. There's always room for one more. There is an abiding place with your name on it. Wherever God is, there is always room for at least one more dude to abide. Dudas is too. And Jesus said, where I am going, everyone is welcome. And I will come back and I will take you there with me. And I think that what Jesus is saying has more than one meaning. Uh, it, it, obviously, he's, he's talking about, um, you know, one meaning is es eschatological, that, you know, the, he's talking about his second coming, or he's talking about the day when we die and he comes and takes us home. But I also think one meaning he mentions, I think, is existential. I think Jesus is telling us that right now, here in this life, he is leading us to a place where everyone is welcome and where everyone is loved and where everyone can be a part. And, and that that is something that can take place in this life. We don't have to wait. I believe Jesus is trying to take us there right now, if only we didn't drag our feet so much. It's a great place to be, and we can experience it at least in part, I think, in this life. Jesus said, you know the way. You know where I'm going. Where I'm taking you, and you know how to get there. And then Thomas spoke up and said, au contraire. You didn't know the disciples spoke French, did you? <laughs> Lord, we don't know where you're going. And if we don't know where you're going, how in the world can we possibly know the way? This place you speak of where there's room for everyone, that's something we know nothing about. It's not something we've experienced much of down here. Lord, you know for the last three years, we have followed you up and down a lot of roads and whichever way you said go, we went. We walked that dusty road into that Samaritan village where no one welcomed us. There was no abiding place there for us. We followed you up hills and around lakes. We went wherever you wanted us to go. But if you leave us, we won't know which road to take anymore. We won't know which way to go. We don't have a map. We don't know the way. Thomas, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. And you get there by following me. And I will lead you to the Father because the Father and I are one and the same. Don't say you don't see God. You have seen God for the last three years. You have had a front row seat. <laughs> Excuse me. And this time it was Philip who spoke up. And he said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Don't you get it, Philip? 
If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. And then Jesus goes on to remind Philip and the other disciples of all the signs and all the miracles they've seen. And Jesus said, if you don't believe me, then at least believe the miracles, believe the evidence of what you've seen, <clears throat> the things that you've seen Jesus do, the things that only God is up to. And then Jesus says something that I, I just find just incredulous. He said, verily I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Did I read that right? Jesus said we would do even greater works than he did? And we read that and we think, how in the world is, is that even possible? And, and I don't think he meant to turn it into some kind of competition where we try to outdo the things he did. And, and to me, I think the, the key to understanding what he said is he said, you'll do these things because I go to the Father. And I understand it like this. That when Jesus was walking around in a physical body, then people brought folks to him that could be healed, that could experience grace, but they could only do it in that specific geographical area wherever Jesus was. God was working through Jesus' body. And now that Jesus has gone to be with the Father, God is still working through Jesus' body, which is the church. And so now people are no longer limited to one specific geographical place. But people everywhere can come into the presence of the body of Christ and receive healing and receive grace. And, and there's no longer just limited to one place, but, it, but it's everywhere that God is at work because God still works through the body of Jesus. He works through us. At least that's how I understand it. And then this section ends with a promise from Jesus that's often been misunderstood. He said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Well, that sounds pretty good. I mean, that's better than being granted three wishes. It's easy to criticize Philip and Thomas for asking questions and not understanding, but I'll tell you, I think if I'd been there that night, after he said that, I think I would have raised my hand. And, and, and I would have said, Jesus, I, are you telling us that we're going to do greater miracles than you and that we can ask for anything we want and get it? And I believe Jesus would have said, au contraire. <laughs> because Jesus speaks every language. But you know, some people have interpreted it that way. If I want a private jet, just pray for a private jet in Jesus' name that he'll give me one. Make Jesus your choice and you'll drive a Rolls Royce. <laughs> as I heard one television evangelist say. Ask for whatever you want. Treat yourself. But we know that's not what he meant. Mainly because we've all tried that and it didn't work. I think the key to understanding the phrase is, he said, in my name. Ask anything in my name. And that's not a magic formula. Give me a new boat in Jesus' name. 
if we tack on the magic phrase at the end. When he said to pray in his name, he meant to pray in his character. To pray for the things that Jesus would pray for. To pray for the things that bring about the kingdom of God. So if you pray, dear God, help me to bring food to my neighbor. And God wants you to bring food to your neighbor. Then your prayer will be answered. And so will your neighbors as well. And then Jesus has a lot more to say. He goes on to tell them that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit. Uh, he tells them all sorts of other things. But this is the end of the scripture we're going to look at this morning. And I go back to picturing the disciples all sitting there, long faces, troubled hearts. It's hard to say goodbye. How are they going to make it? When Jesus is no longer with them in a physical body. And then I think of us, our troubled hearts, too many goodbyes. How are we going to make it? Same way, I think. We believe that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. In God's house, there is a place for you. You have a room there. Let that sink in. Let that encourage you. One day when we die, we will live forever in the presence of God. Let that sink in. Let that encourage you. And until then, Jesus is still the way. And following Jesus will lead us to a place where we are all welcomed and we are all loved, not only in heaven, but here in this life as well. Let that sink in. Let that encourage you. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in Jesus. Believe Jesus' words. Because not only does Jesus show us the way, he is the way. Not only does Jesus tell us the truth, he is the truth. Not only does Jesus bring us life, he is the life. Amen.